Hello, welcome to another Pharmacy in Practice podcast. Got a, got a guest from um, Europe speaking to us this morning. Um, would you like to introduce yourself, David? Hi, Jonathan. How's it going? Hi, my name is um, David. I'm currently based in Barcelona, but originally I'm from Slovenia. Um, I also did my studies. I did my MPharm degree in, um, in the UK. So I think I've been in many, many places, to be honest. So this is David Kolasic, and um, whereabouts do you live just now then, David? I live in Barcelona, Spain. Most of the time it's sunny and nice, but today it's quite cloudy. Very good. I've, uh, so what temperature are we looking at today? 24 degrees, maybe. And that's a bad day. That's a bad day for Spain, yeah. <laughs> How annoying. <laughs> but I, I've, I've lived in the UK, so I'm, I'm quite used to you know bad weather, but it's quite funny how quickly you just get used to the good weather. I know, I know. Well, well, Aberdeenshire this morning is, is pretty grim. It's windy, wet, 12 degrees-ish. So typical summer weather. But, but no, the reason, the reason we got you on was just to hear about um, lots of the stuff that you're up to. You're up to quite a lot of stuff. You've got, you've a very, you've got a very interesting role. You've had a very interesting career path so far. And, um, you you also have a uh, a podcast of your own and and a little bit of an initiative to help people um, get jobs. Well, we start at the start, and um, do you want to give us a summary about about your career to date and um, how you've got to the role that you're in just now? Yeah, certainly. So my I think my career path is a bit unconventional. So I've been interested in pharmacy for a long time since I was in high school. I always I was just fascinated how you take a tablet or you take a capsule and all of a sudden you feel better. So I wanted to really understand the science behind this. At the same time, I wanted to challenge myself. I wanted to go out of my comfort zone. So I decided, okay, let's go study pharmacy in the UK. I decided to go for London because London is the place to be. Um, so early on, I... I realized how important it is not just to study and do your exams, but also to get proactive. So, you know, get involved in all these student associations, go to events, network with people to really understand what options we have. But at some point, well, my, my aspiration was really to be a clinical pharmacist. I wanted to prescribe, um, possibly specialize in cardiology, etc. And the whole thing went really well um, up until third year in pharmacy, uh, I had my pre-reg pretty much secure, all that stuff. I had my whole career ahead of me. But then all of a sudden, I failed one of my exams, professional practice. And I thought, well, it's the first exam I failed. I have my retake in August. It'll be fine. But then in August, for some reason, I failed this exam again. And I went, I, I still remember like it was yesterday, I went to the office of the, of the professor the, the module course leader, and he told me, well, David, I'm sorry, but you, we can, cannot continue on the MPharm degree. It will just give you the Bachelor of Science, and you cannot be a pharmacist. So at that point, well, first of all, I didn't really understand what he was telling me because I had my big plans, how I'm going to conquer the world of clinical pharmacy and all that stuff. But slowly things started sinking into me, and I realized, oh, wow, okay, this is a big tragic moment, like the biggest failure of my life. And I didn't really know what to do with myself. So it took quite a long time to find 
where I belong and who I am and all these kind of things. But like in retrospect, looking now, this has happened six years ago. So that moment was probably the most important moment in my life in terms of career, because it really like it, it hit me on the head. I had to rethink everything I thought was true. And then I had to really kind of find myself and find what I love. And it's a bit funny that I say this today. I'm actually really grateful. I'm really happy I failed that exam. Because of that, a lot of interesting career paths started opening towards me. So then the next step was I didn't want to just finish my studies. So I continued with a master's in science, in pharmaceutical sciences and in business. And then I just returned back home trying to figure out what I want to do. So I got employed in, um, in a pharmaceutical industry, in a generics company, doing quality management, focusing on all the GMP, GDP, all these uh, standards, working with our affiliates in, in, in Europe. And then at some point, again, all these things, like, at the same time, I was fully involved in student associations. So the British Pharmaceutical Students Association, I was a student, then later with the European Pharmaceutical Students Association. And this is where I got to know all my career options. This is where I realized it's not only community pharmacy and hospital pharmacy that you can do as a pharmacist or as a scientist, but there's a vast majority of options that you have in other areas as well. So then at some point, I had an opportunity to move to Barcelona to work on a thing called ISO IDMP. I had no clue what IDMP means, but Barcelona sounded quite nice. So I decided to join a consulting firm in Barcelona, where I worked for two years. I started in regulatory affairs, consulting clients on regulatory affair topics. Again, I didn't know anything about regulatory affairs, but my quality management background was very useful. So then I was learning or upgrading my knowledge as I went. And then at some point, I think after one year, there was an opportunity to go into business development. I was like, okay, so I'm a scientist with a pharmacy background. And now I have an opportunity to go into business development, which was a bit unconventional, but I said, okay, like this opportunity sounds very interesting. So I would still continue working with pharma, with like direct profess professionals in pharmaceutical companies, but I would do it from a little bit different perspective. So kind of offering the services and solutions that we have, um, negotiating contracts, all these kind of things. So I've always also been like kind of business minded so this was quite uh, quite nice and then as things started evolving i also got interested in technology and all these modern things that are happening in the world today i found out about this company called viva and all the interesting software that they built for the life science industry again this whole thing came through like the network so when i was going to the events i got to know people they told me about it what they do i saw the software etc and I thought at some point, like, hmm, this seems interesting. But I was like, I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm, if I'm good for this. But then last year, I went to the, the summit, to their event, where I was just sitting there when they were presenting the software, the roadmap, you know, how they're disrupting the world of life science industry with this technology. And I was like, wow, I want to be part of this. So we went ahead with the interviews, et cetera. I got to know the company, the people the whole this process. It's quite long. And then they offered me this opportunity to work in a Silicon Valley 
tech company as a solution consultant. So this is in summary what I've been going through, but in, in retrospect, it's quite interesting how I went from that massive failure of not knowing who I am and what I want to be going through kind of pharma roles, more into business roles and now into technology role. Sounds sounds really interesting and uh, like quite, as you say, quite unconventional. It's certainly not the uh, normal is not a very good word to use, but it's not the regular or um, or well known career path, is it? I'm going to tell you a secret, um, which won't be a secret for very long. Um, I actually failed the very same exam, pharmacy law and ethics. Um, I assume professional practice was 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 a similar similar topic. Um, but I had to do the same. I, I, I'm from Northern Ireland and I had to, to travel back to uh, Scott Aberdeen in Scotland during the summer to, to reset. I, luckily, I did pass it. But like you, that was a moment um, in third year when I really knuckled down and, um, you know, it sort of focused my um, focused the rest of my uni life. Um, it's interesting what you say about, you know, your... I think you've got you, you've you've my my assessment of you, if it's not if it's not 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 too presumptuous, is uh, that you're quite entrepreneurial, um, and I think that's so that's absolutely fine, that's absolutely brilliant. But um, and I find this in the past, if if you are that way inclined, then sometimes your face doesn't fit, um, and it can be hard to find a role that suits you know such a such a free thinker because you've done so much David I mean you've you've been involved in the European Pharmaceutical Students Association the BPSA you know you're you're doing all this um, stuff around your career so what's the stuff what's the stuff you're doing around careers how are you helping um, pharmacists and others get get work and what sort of work is that I think that you're you're quite right when you say that my mind is quite entrepreneurial because I just like, like I just, I'm just, I just get excited with new things and with you know new ways of solving old problems, and yeah, having all these experiences, I think it just completes me as a person. So I'm, I'm just kind of adding different experiences, and it gives me a very good perspective on the world, or at least on the roles that I do. So I always use my previous experiences in the new roles that I do, and like, like you said, like. In addition to my to my role I have at the moment, professionally, I also have my side hustle. It's just a hobby that I do, um, helping people find jobs. And the reason I do this is because in in my in my life or in my career so far, I've been so fortunate to be surrounded by the people who helped me unselfishly to find myself, to find my career. Um, I had a lot of coaches, a lot of mentors who really made me who I am today. So like what you see on my, on my curriculum or what you see on my LinkedIn isn't just me. There's a massive amount of people behind that story that helped me build that stuff. So I thought, well, the only fair thing to do now is really go ahead with my passion, which is also helping people using the experiences that I have. And one of the things I realized throughout this whole process that I went through. So at Kingston, I still remember in our first or second year, they told us as a pharmacist, you only have three options. One option is community pharmacy where 80% of the people go. 
Then you have clinical pharmacy, which is 17%, and then 3% is for industry, but don't bother because you will not get any. And back then I was like, okay, so <laughs> these are my options. But now as I went through all these roles, I realized, well, it's not just these three options. It's massive amount of career options you have as a pharmacist. It's amazing what you can do. So you should not be limited by your degree. You should not be limited by what other people tell you. You should be limited by what you think for yourself, right? So you're putting limits on yourself. So to, to help people realize this, I founded a project called Pharmadelic. And the idea behind this is to, first of all, help pharma students and recent graduates finding careers. So we try to centralize all the job opportunities that are relevant to them because I realize there's a massive gap in that space. So there's a lot of websites, so there's a lot of HR agencies that are looking to recruit people that have three or five year experience plus, but there's no one out there who's focusing on this small niche sector. So I want to do that, um, just looking for different job opportunities around Europe, posting them centrally into one platform that we use, which is Telegram. And then on the same time, I'm also, like you said at the beginning, hosting a podcast where I'm talking to various interesting pharmacists who have also interesting careers so that they can say what they do, how they got there, and what kind of advice they have for the people coming in. Because most of the time, then you see on the Telegram jobs like market access or business development or solution consulting or manufacturing, clinical trials, etc. But you just see words. You don't really understand what's behind these words. So mm -hmm. having hosting someone on a podcast and them explaining what this actually means, I think, brings a lot of clarity to the people. I think what you're doing there is the classic entrepreneurial trait, and I love it. Um, Thank you. And it, it's a concept. Well, it's a concept that's resonated with me recently quite a lot, and it's it's zero to one. So. Most people never get to one. Most people just talk about stuff. 99.9% .9 of folk never actually do something. So what you're doing with the podcast, I think, and your Telegram group, it sounds like in business terms, it's a little bit speculative maybe. I don't think it's unkind to say that, but it's exactly how an entrepreneur thinks because if you start doing stuff and adding value and helping people, then um, opportunities will come. And, and there's no quick way to it. It is hard, hard work, many hours of um, usually boring, repetitive tasks. Like for you, it's probably searching for jobs and stuff like that. But, but I keep going. I think, you, you know, that approach is absolutely right. And it's a kind of it's something else I want to speak to you about because you're not, you're not kind of directly steeped in pharmacy, although you do have a link to pharmacy, David. So one thing that kind of saddens me and concerns me quite a lot about our profession in the UK anyway is that there's very little entrepreneurship as far as I can see. There's no, well, there are pockets, but there's not enough of a, what I would call an enabling or startup culture. I think most pharmacists feel like they're in a straitjacket and they are working usually most typically for a large organization that may well be the NHS um, may well be a large multiple or a small multiple in community pharmacy and they their professional practice I think is uh, their wings are clipped and they're very 
protocol driven largely. There's very little room for that activity that you just described, you know, like that zero to one. Um, it's very difficult to innovate or be, you know, push the profession forward within that straitjacket. Would you, would you agree? I think that there's a lot of opportunities, especially in, in community pharmacy and in healthcare. And I'm seeing this now that I, I work in a tech company that's at the moment is focusing on the life science industry. And if you just look at the inefficiencies inside the life science industry and the amount of opportunities for them to really improve the processes, the way they work, etc., it's just massive. But then if you look at healthcare, I think the opportunities have been bigger. Like what's like the enabling things that technology does is just massive. I, I see that healthcare is still heavily paper-based and living in 2019, this is quite shocking. Actually, I was, I was in South of Spain a few weeks ago in a, in a pharma company and we showed them this software. So we built multi-tenant cloud software, which means that you have all these um, documents inside the system electronic signatures, all fully compliant with the regulations, etc. So we asked them, how do you do these processes today? So how do you sign SOPs, etc.? So they said, okay, we send paper SOPs to Madrid via post. The <laughs> executives sign with a pen and send the signed SOPs via post back to our company. And then we show them, well, why don't you just use Vault? Because with Vault, you don't have to use any post. You just send a task via workflow. The other person gets an email notification. They open it. They check it. They sign it electronically. And it's done. And they were like, wow, this actually exists. So maybe there's also... Maybe it's also that people just don't know that these technologies exist and that these kind of things are already possible. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting to hear you speak because I think another thing that you've been exposed to that that maybe most pharmacists haven't in this country is um, is that health health tech zone. You know, I don't know if people are aware, but things there is so much happening in health tech right now. I mean, that is just it's just the place to be, and the consequences of that are. Uh, I think we felt a wee bit of it, but the, the, the tsunami is coming, I believe. The tsunami of disruption. Um, and and what does that mean? So like your your telegram group is a classic example of a little, you know, a little bit of disruption. There's lots of telegram groups and WhatsApp groups that are posting locum jobs and stuff. And um I think that's quite interesting because in in a the effect sometimes of posting jobs and so on, there can be unintended consequences in my view. So in a way you're, you're possibly, this is something I wanted to ask you, in a way you're possibly increasing the supply of pharmacists by putting them all in the, or potential employees by putting the jobs all in one place. Do you recognize that? I think there's two, there's two perspectives. So, one perspective is there's two sizes of companies, right? So there's the big enterprise companies such as the GSK, AstraZeneca, and all these ones. And then there's the small SMB companies that no one knows about. So I, when I was applying, I was applying for Novo Nordisk a few years ago for a graduate scheme. 
and there was 10,000 applicants in total. There was 1,000 applicants for regulatory affairs, the position I applied for, and they only accepted four people. So they were saying, actually, we don't want more applications. We want less, but higher quality. Okay. On the other side, you have small SMB companies. One of them is, the, is my previous company as well. And because their brand is not as well known as the GSKs, AstraZeneca, etc., they struggle finding good people. They struggle finding people at all. So I think there's two opportunities or two different challenges we have to solve. In terms of big enterprise, we have to solve the challenge of them finding the real fit, the talent that they want. And with the SMBs, the challenge is for them finding anyone, obviously talent as well, but finding anyone at all. The point about Telegram and all this, as you've said, I fully agree with you that there might be um, unwanted consequences of higher supply. But I, I really believe that pharmacists have very good skill set. I think that uh, pharmacy schools are preparing people for the future. At least at Kingston, we had all these soft skills trainings and we had to do a lot of real things, not just study for exams. So I personally believe that pharmacy profession is highly educated and highly capable for doing these difficult jobs. So by providing pharmacists to the, to the companies, I think is a, is a good thing. And I know that when people apply for jobs, like let's say you're a pharmacist, you're applying for a job, you don't only compete with pharmacists, you're competing with chemists, with physicists, with mathematicians, business people, etc. So my role, like my niche is really helping pharmacists to make sure that they get into roles they want, to equip them with all the necessary skill sets, knowledge, etc., so that they can effectively compete with other professions as well. Surely, yeah, no, it's really interesting what you're, what you're trying to do, and I, I have a lot of time for you for doing it. Um, what do you think? I, I know your, I know your, um, your specialty doesn't sit with community pharmacy. So apologies for dragging it back, but I'm interested. In, I'm interested in what you, what what the tech environment uh, that you've been exposed to is like. You know, what's that Silicon Valley culture like? Because you're working for a large Silicon Valley company, and maybe if you describe that, maybe we could learn a bit about what community pharmacy could learn um, and I guess it's in the context of community pharmacy basically being stuck with one large customer i.e. the NHS um, and I think that's something that we often forget in community pharmacy that the NHS is actually our customer um, and because we've had one large customer for such a long time um, I my own view is that innovation has been kind of suppressed. Um, there's been some interesting news this week about um, Lloyd's Pharmacy, for example, taking on uh, or expanding into travel services, which is which is no surprise because last time I looked, there was about a 50% gross profit on those on those lines. So the service could be offered free and uh, and there's a, there's a good markup. Now that may change as, as players enter the market like Lloyd's and they, they'll probably squeeze those margins down. But... Um, I guess it's a welcome move towards some kind of diversification and innovation. 
so what have you any thoughts or comments on that david what 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 we could learn from the environment that you've been exposed to i think what we're trying to solve is the lack of guts technology or like we see that in the industry at least in the life science industry a lot of the companies small and big use very old disconnected technologies and that's a problem because the amount of data and the amount of documents they have to handle is so massive that eventually using old technologies all these processes become inefficient so one of our biggest customers has like 10 million documents they have to manage globally so just imagine imagine doing that with um, you know file shares and having things on laptops or old systems that don't really work or are really delayed etc so we said okay we have the new technologies of google amazon etc why don't we disrupt the life science industry market with all these technologies because these technologies already exist the the social media is using it the aviation is using it etc why wouldn't we use it so we were I think the first ones we had this mindset of combining the document management with data management all in the same system in a multi-tenant cloud system, which makes everything easier because it's, um, it's kind of the, the same website. It's a consumer website feel. So if you know how to use Google and Amazon and all these kind of things, it's very similar. Obviously, it's very specialized towards life sciences, so it's a bit more complex than that. And because it's a cloud system, it's very easy to get more and more companies in. And as you get more and more companies in, the system becomes more efficient because then you're learning from different companies, how they use it, what they want. You have this whole community in the same place that gives you feedback. So normally how we built our applications is we build something based on the need, knowing that the companies need this based on regulations. Then we are collecting a lot of feedback from all the sites internally inside Viva, as well as externally from our clients. We understand what they need, what they want. Then we prioritize and we just release new version of the software three times a year. So there's massive innovation. There's always something new. Uh, there's always improvements, new automation, etc. And if I think now about the healthcare sector and uh, particularly community pharmacy, I think the big like innovation that you could have is, for example, I'm just thinking now from the patient perspective, right? At the moment I am in Spain and I am on some medicines. Then I go to the UK for holidays. I have to get admitted to the hospital or I have to go to pharmacy to get some medicines, the prescription I got from your GP or in the hospital, etc. The pharmacist has no idea about my medical history. The pharmacist has no idea about the medicines I'm on, the medicines I've been on, my allergies, etc. Every time I go to a hospital, I go anywhere, they ask me, do you have any allergies? And I say, okay, these are my allergies. So there's a lot of inefficiencies and there's a lot of time being wasted if you calculate on a, on a global scale how much time is being wasted by these kind of inefficiencies. It's, it's amazing. So if, let's say, the healthcare system the hospitals, the GP practices, the commit pharmacists would all be in the same cloud platform. They could share the information about the patient. So it doesn't matter where in Europe or in the world I go to, which pharmacy or which hospital, they should, based on my ID, able to see my medical history, my allergies, etc. And based on this, I think they would make better informed decisions. 
And also I think this prevents hospitalizations, deaths. I think there's a lot of things that can prevent. Now, the second question is about data security, right? Because, you know, these are very um, detailed in healthcare information that patients might be afraid might leak. But I think with the technologies we have today, we can, like all these encryptions, et cetera, we can, we can protect that quite well. So if the life science industry is using these technologies, even with all the new potential medicines that are worth billions and billions of dollars and they trust us to put all this information in the system, then I think with the patients, we could have the same, same approach. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think with the data thing, it's, it, it goes back to the, you know, for me, it goes back to the, when, the, when the internet came on the go. So the, the deal back then was, you know, give the company some, and things have moved on dramatically, don't, don't get me wrong, but the basic bargain with the user was give us some data and we'll give you a service. Um, now things have moved on dramatically, but that's still basically the same bargain, isn't it? And I guess there is a certain amount of, um, I would, I think, I agree with you, like diminishing risk around that. So I think the relative risk is of, of a leak and so on is, is reasonably low, especially if it's encrypted and, and all the modern um, sort of safety net measures are taken. But yeah, no, that's really interesting. I think I think in farm in pharmacy and community pharmacy, we've been we've been fixated on innovating around the supply function, um, and that's that. I'm not saying it's not the right thing to do because it, it has to happen. Um, I think there is a huge amount. I agree with you that could be done. Uh, cloud-based solutions, you know, that conversation with the patient after they leave the pharmacy. Um, another thing I don't hear um, from our, our great leaders in the profession is as much chat about pharmaceutical care. So, you know, modern pharmacy practice sort of is based on that paper in 1990 by Hepler and Strand. And, and, and basically that, that concept built, built upon uh, a, a plan that was agreed with, with the pharmacist and the patient pharmaceutical care plan and, uh, you know, fought the subsequent follow-up and so on and so forth to ensure the safe and effective use of medicines. Now, in my view, that's never happened. Um, I don't think pharmaceutical care was ever, the potential around pharmaceutical care was ever realised. Um, and suddenly we've skipped on to, to doing things like prescribing and managing patients, but we've almost missed our niche. And the interesting bit about what you say about your world in Silicon Valley is that, is that innovation and data and, and constant learning from the company side is built into your processes. I mean, you're putting out three updates a year on the solution. The trouble for community pharmacy is they, it's not that they're fixing a problem they don't, that no one cares about. It's, it's almost that they don't know if they're fixing a problem that anybody cares about because we're just doing the same thing that we've been doing for years. So it's, it's a double whammy in my view. Um, I could be way off with that, but I, I just think there's, that there needs to be some way to start gathering information about what we're actually doing, introduce consistency across the estate, and you know, start, start finding ways to add value. Going back to your pharmadelic idea, 
what is you know you're adding value to those people that are applying for your jobs what's the equivalent in community pharmacy where are the pockets of value within your your local community um that's how i feel about it. i find it really interesting to speak to you david because you bring a you bring a refreshing like different perspective on on an age-old problem to be honest yeah i think the important thing is that we have to start somewhere right even when i look at the history of uh, of our company where they started was it was just a basic library like in terms of like we have two sectors we have commercial and we have the r d um, areas that we focus on so on the r d side when they built the product that we call vault the first version was just the basic library where you could put in the documents just the most basic thing you can imagine so you could put your documents on the website like on the, on the cloud system but today like seven or eight years later you can do so many things it's just amazing uh, you, now they built kind of a uh, an ecosystem where the in clinical trials where the sponsor and the CRO and um, the the sites the hospital sites are all using Vault their own Vault but they can all share the data they can all share the documents all these kind of things so there's no duplication of documents there's only one source of truth so there's only one CV of the investigator there's only one document of a particular patient and this document gets shared across the sites whenever necessary. So what we are really trying to achieve is reduce the amount of duplication, reduce the amount of errors, etc. But we didn't start with this vision. Or I, I believe that the, the founders, they had a massive vision, but I don't think they imagined when they started the company more than 10 years ago that this would grow into something as big as today. They just started with a big vision, started with something very small, like small steps in terms of a product. And this product has just grown tremendously. And you mentioned this at the beginning, like also with my Pharmadelic, I have a big vision for the future. I know exactly where I want it to go. I, I know what kind of issues I want to solve, but I know it's impossible to just do it now because I don't have the capacity or the network or the resources, etc. But if I start, or if I just stick with this vision, it will never, nothing will happen. But I decided consciously to say, okay, I have this vision. I know exactly where I want to drive this idea, but I want to start small. I want to, I want to just do some little thing just to help someone with something and then see where it goes. So the first step was just promoting the jobs. So centralizing all the jobs I find in, into Telegram platform. Then the second thing was like, okay, so now I'm not really solving the issue of people understanding what jobs they can apply for. So all of a sudden I was like, okay, let's do a podcast. This idea didn't come at the beginning. It was just an add-on. And that's how new ideas are developing. We also didn't think about holding workshops with students on site. So we've done a workshop. We've done one with the BPS in the UK. There was one in Bulgaria. There was one in, well, two in Croatia, one in Romania, etc. And now we're getting invited by more and more people because they want to hear our stories, etc. And I didn't plan this at the beginning. So... As you go and as you try things and as you're getting this feedback from the community, you just grow into something very big. And I think there's the same opportunity in community pharmacy and healthcare. Just, well, have a vision, but start small. Start with something that's realistic, something that you can do today. Start getting feedback from the patients, from the healthcare, from the leaders, etc. And as you go, grow. 
So I think that's, that's the idea of the, the Silicon Valley mindset. Just like, okay, decide you want to disrupt something, go ahead and do it, break the product, make sure that people are using it, test it, and then just continue improving it until you get to the point where you want to be. Yeah, no, I, that, that's what I've, I've learned recently as well. So, I mean, my own story is just, just starting writing basically. And luckily people, people read, read my initial blog and then pharmacy and practice now podcast and you know i'm very fortunate to to have a consultancy business and and most recently i'm i'm now involved in a in a tech startup but it's it's all it's all been based on that that process that you just described and and i think the point i made earlier was that i just think we need to bake that in to our like our um our kind of pharmacy way of thinking really um because if we miss it we'll, we'll just be left behind and what you said about like the startup, the nature of startups and the nature, not even startups, just the nature of, of tech businesses and, and modern businesses. You, you seek to add value. You go from zero to one. You, you, you know, you start, you do something and then you learn by feedback and you pivot and you go a different direction. It, that process is repeated over and over again many, many times in these businesses. But I think the worry for me is that in, in some aspects of, of our professional life, there's not, there's, there's no, I don't see that process happening. Um, and, and, and if that continues, then we'll just continue down the escalator. But it, it requires courage. I mean, on your behalf, it requires, required courage to start a podcast, you know, to do something. And, and uh, I think your vision will be realized because you're, you're, um, you're a very compelling guy and it's been, it's been great speaking to you. Um, yeah, I'd love, likewise. I'd, I'd, love, I'd love to speak again, but um, we we better wrap it up at that. Yeah, let's do that. But um, it was uh, it was a very nice conversation. I really enjoyed how this developed, and um, I, I guess we should continue, you know, discussing things in the future. Keep in touch, and more than happy to come back to the podcast whenever we have a new topic to tackle. Absolutely, I'll hold you to that. I, I actually think I should probably come to Barcelona and do the podcast. I think that would be more sensible. Yeah, anytime. <laughs> Always welcome. Brilliant, brilliant. No, it's good to talk to you, David, and thank you so much for uh, for being involved. Likewise, thank you for inviting me.